Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind. That is the mind of Christ, agreeing with the truth of his word. I am Pastor Sean Smith, your host today, and I am pastor at St. Paul Wine Hill in Emmanuel West Point. That is down there in southern Illinois. And joining me today is an excellent panel of faithful theologians and great pastors. I have in studio with me Pastor Matt Wood, who is pastor of Concordia in Maplewood, Missouri. And online with us, uh, Pastor Gavin Mize of Augustana Lutheran, Hickory, North Carolina. And also joining us is Pastor Tim Apple, pastor of Grace Lutheran in in Smithville, Texas. Welcome, brothers. Good to be here. Thank, thank you very much. All right. Do we, I, I don't know if I caught Pastor Tim Apple in there. I'm here. All right. There you are, brother. All right. Great to hear your voice. Uh, you too, Sean. All right. Well, we're going to dig into, we've been going through for months now, uh, and uh, a couple of the guys is, I think, uh, Pastor uh, Mises and Pastor Apple's first time on this show. Pastor Matt Wood has been on before, and I've uh, been on as before before as well. But we've been going for several months through this very long article in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. It's Article 4 or Article 5 or 3, depending on how you number it, what (laughs) translation you're using. Uh, But uh, it's all that chief article of the Christian faith, justification. And specifically, as we're in this section, we're talking about love and fulfilling of the law. uh, And basically, where do good works come from? And Today we're going to begin in line or paragraph 167 or 288, again, depending on what numbering you're using. I don't know why this has to be so complicated, but it is. And we're going to be taking a look at uh, the, the kind of subheading for this is the adversary's teaching based on reason and the law. And they're going to lay a foundation here that we're going to talk about today um, of kind of what is their teaching and what is our teaching. And so I'm going to read a chunk here, beginning with uh, line 167. The former way of justification they they teach is that people merit grace by good works, both in merely agreeable way and in a wholly deserving way. This way is a doctrine of reason. For reason, not seeing the uncleanness of the heart, thinks that it pleases God if it performs good works. Therefore, other works and other acts of worship are constantly invented by people in great peril to defend against the terrors of conscience." I'm just going to go ahead and pause right there. Anyone want to jump in in here and uh, make some comments on what uh, they have just laid down as uh, the teaching of our opponents here? I'll jump in here. Uh, The opponents are, are, with their reason, thinking of themselves as, we can't be all that bad. There's got to be something we can do. But the second you let that... uh, that uh, shoe in, that's like the camel's nose or whatever other metaphor you want to use, there's no stopping the doubt and the despair that comes in. So once we get to the Lutheran understanding, what the Lutheran understanding is going to do is is going to really bring confidence 
is going to do away with the uncertainty of looking at our works. Have we done enough? Uh, what's the measurement? And it's going to bring confidence. Yeah. What sense are they using reason here that their teaching is their doctrine is based on reason? Pastor Apple, you want to comment there? I would say that here the term reason means this is just what makes sense, right? It, it makes sense um, that the heart really isn't all that unclean. And how often do we hear people say, you know, well, people aren't that bad. I mean, you think about uh, the response to Hurricanes Harvey and Irma and, and the outpouring of good things that have happened. Look, people aren't all that bad. Um, it makes sense that that it that we're not that bad of people. We're not that unclean. Um, and it, it would make sense that God would be pleased by our good works, how, whatever we decide is good. Um, so I, I would say the reason here is, is this is just what makes sense. It, it's what comes naturally to us, um, apart from Christ and the gospel. It's, it's what it's the way the world seems to work, and, and why shouldn't it work that way with God, too? All right, so they're importing kind of this human reason that says, oh, basically people are pretty good. Right. Uh, is that a fair well, summary of what you just said there, Pastor Apple? Yes, sir, yeah. All yeah, right. Exactly and you can, you can see this on, on uh, Facebook. You see those uh, clickbait articles that come across, seven pictures of whatever that will restore your faith in humanity. Ah, yes. Right, uh, showing us the goodness that is inherent in everyone. I hear all the time from people, you know, I just believe in the basic decency and goodness of people. This is a very common thing to hear, a common disposition and is yet to they, believe. Yeah. And yet they don't live up to it, ever. Right. And it never <laughs> seems to get better. In fact, it seems to get worse. Pastor Myers, you want to jump in here? Sure. Um, they say that the road to hell is led with good intentions. Uh, I disagree. I think the road to hell is led in self-justifying your own works. Um, it's much easier to pull the pull the wool over our own eyes uh, than it is to uh, stand in repentance or kneel in repentance. Mm -hmm. um, the former mode of justification is with, uh, with them is that they teach by good works, men merit grace, both, etc. But both uh, congruo and de contigo, dieno. Um, simply all that is is simply self-justification, uh, and that's what—that's the—that's the reason that Luther called reason the, the great whore because you can you use it for your gratification and your uh, explanation, and uh, it can be manipulated manipulated into the sinner's favor each and every time. That's why alien righteousness or alien justification is key to uh, to our salvation. It's got to be outside of ourselves because I love to make up reasons why I'm why I don't sin. Yeah. But so I stand a sinner. Yeah, and, and I love how they kind of tie in there too. You know, therefore other works and other acts of worship are constantly invented by people in great peril to defend against the terrors of conscience. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, you, you, it's staring you right in the face what the problem is. But rather than deal with that and rather than look to that alien righteousness, that righteousness outside of ourselves that comes from Christ alone, uh, you're looking inside of yourself and inventing whole new ways right. to deal with this problem. Right, so when you, when, you, uh, when you fall short, when you sin, when you don't measure up, you add more works, uh, like trying to buy God off with some roses or something, you know, you, um, maybe I'll pray through the rosaries a, a couple of times, or maybe I'll donate $200 to this organization or, or, or that that's the, and, and that puts you back in the good works column 
and and you can start to measure grace again rather than measuring how fall how how far you've fallen right and those those works can be you know whatever you want them to be which is i mean it's just what makes it so um so tempting is because i i can well whatever i'm led to do whatever i think is good i i can just go for that um it's Kind of, I was thinking about earlier the the Jiminy Cricket sort of way. Let your conscience be your guide, but not a conscience that's captivated to the Word of God, but a conscience that just goes whichever way I think is right. I, I can and, do and you know, works. you know what's you know what's worse than a church uh, that demands good works from you for salvation is a church that demands good works from you for salvation via the homework that's given to you uh, from the confessional. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Go say these Hail Marys, this amount of this amount of goodness, grace, intentions um, uh, will make you right with God. Otherwise, he's not real happy with you. Um, and then that basically what it does is it separates God the Father from looking through the eyes of his crucified son's eyes. And it, lo- and it shows God looking at us from uh, without from that we that we are in the hands of uh, a God of no mercy if he doesn't look at us through uh, the, 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 the blood-stained eyes of his crucified son and that we look at our neighbor with um, bat- baptismal water-filled eyes uh, th- those are the good works that are needed uh, not those uh, certainly not those that are given as out as homework from uh, a parish priest in a box. Yeah, and and actually, I'm going to go ahead and pick up and read there a little more. Uh, they they list some of these these works that are invented, and then uh, we'll talk about these, and then also how we we still see this playing out today. Uh, so continuing on there in the middle of this very long paragraph of 167, the pagans and the Israelites slew human victims and undertook many other most painful works in order to appease God's anger. Afterward, orders of monks were invented, and these challenged each other in the severity of their observances against the terrors of conscience and God's anger. This way of justification, because it is according to reason and is completely occupied with outward works, can be understood and be done to a certain extent. To this end, the canon lawyers have distorted the misunderstood church ordinances, which are enacted by the fathers for a far different purpose. The fathers did not intend that we follow the ordinances in order to seek after righteousness, but they were given for the sake of mutual peace among people, so there might be a certain order in the church. In this way, the canon lawyers also distorted the sacraments, and most especially the Mass. Through them, they seek righteousness, grace, and salvation by the outward act. All right, go ahead and pause there. So that's that's kind of their listing of exactly those sorts of works that are invented that... Uh, um, are are to try and satisfy this this pangs of conscience uh, here, Pastor uh, Apple. You want to jump in? Well, I mean, it's interesting that they set you know, human sacrifices is the first example that they would give that the pagans and Israelites slew their human victims, and then right after that they they lit uh, the monastery. Um, and I think it's it's quite telling of how what they thought of of that sort of invention in the church um, that they would set those two things side by side, and and just how how far astray that it, that led people that. You know, they were just making up these works that they could do, that they thought 
would make them righteous before God. That makes sense. Um, and and it's all this outward work, and they boy, they sure look righteous, but they're they're leading themselves farther away from God um, because they refuse the righteousness that He freely gives through the blood of His Son Jesus. Pastor Wood, you want to jump in? Yeah, I think uh, what really stands out here for me in this in this paragraph is right right in the middle there. This way of justification, that is the orders, uh, the sacrifices, this uh, trying to outdo each other with the severity of observances, this way of justification, because it is according to reason and is completely occupied with outward works, can be understood and can be done to a certain extent. And I think that's what everybody wants, right? Something tangible that they can point to that can be done, right? Maybe it's church attendance or... Um, maybe it's making sure that you say the Lord's Prayer every night. I mean, you can take very holy, very pious, very good things, and the second you make them uh, a measurement toward justification, they become pretty evil. Yeah, in a sense, it's really that, uh, you know, what we want to do is see the end results. And we don't really care about, you know, if it's right, if it's the Mm -hmm. good starting place, if it actually does make things better or gives us any hope or comfort of the conscience what we just want to see is the results and so they're they're pointing to these you know and to some extent we do see this bringing Mm -hmm. about good things and we still see this at play today uh where you know well-meaning christians will say you know what does it matter you know kind (laughs) of why why do we still have to wrestle over these things what we need is people actually to be more loving to have more peace in our communities to whatever it may be you know we just want to see the end result or especially with if, if i'm going through some personal depression or maybe I'm dealing with an addiction, uh, it is probable that I will hear a well-meaning Christian brother or sister say something like, well, why don't you just pray more? Or if you believed enough, you know, you could overcome this depression, addiction, what have you. And that is a tempting thing to say. It's depressing to hear, but it's a tempting thing to say and even believe because particularly, I think, in our American context, just give me my self-help book. Give me my six steps. Give me my uh, roadmap, because uh, the Bible's a roadmap, we've been led to believe, to to get through it. And it's it, not it, possible. And it actually then distorts the gifts of God that he's given us, right. like in prayer. Uh, it distorts what right. true prayer really does right. for us. And I think right. they get to this point, too. They distort the sacraments and especially the mass, they say, right there at the end of where I read. Pastor Miles, you want to jump in there? Oh, <laughs> I was just thinking about that, um, uh, the Bible as as a roadmap uh, to get from, a, from point A to point B. And then I thought about uh, the Romans Road, and how we were talking about that the other day. And you know, what's wrong with the Romans Road? Because well, where, where it ends is the problem. Uh, it's not the fact that Romans is the problem, but uh, I don't look at Scripture as uh, as, a, as a guidebook. Um, I don't look at Scripture as a road map. I don't. I don't believe in the golden strand through the Old Testament. I believe every word is Christ. Uh, however, I also believe that, and I say this in, in a book, that Scripture is a puzzle that is incomplete. 
it's, you know, it's it's all it's all together in the box, uh, and it's very it can be very difficult without training, uh, without learning how to exegete, without the languages to put each piece together, and that's why we have what we're talking about right now, the Book of Concord, particularly the Augsburg Confession, to be the box top that shows us what the picture is, um, and we can put those pieces together uh, based on. The, the fathers who drew out the truth uh, and gave us the uh, the, book, the book of Concord, you know, the box top, so to speak. Uh, and I just I just always think think about how we use these uh, turn of phrases to to talk about God's word, um, uh, roadmap, Romans Road, Golden Stream or Golden Thread, whatever you want to call it. Whenever uh, really it it becomes as simple as uh, prophecy and fulfillment, uh, law and de- and Christ's death, resurrection, um, and also here where it says, I mean, I can, and I think we miss it. That the, the tranquility among men, uh, there might be a certain order in the church, and that, now that order in the church is what was being abused. Uh, and by because it is by the order of that church, particularly Pope and Council, in this manner they also distort the sacraments, especially the Mass. Um, so, those are my two thoughts regarding Scripture uh, and and the Book of Concord, um, and regarding how the Roman Catholic Church viewed church order. Uh, Walter would disagree with this, uh, of course. Yeah, and and here we recognize, too, that order for the church is good, and, and the church order and, and these gifts of God are very good, the sacraments, the mass. Um, but when we distort them, when we make them about something other than what they were given to us for, uh, it actually leads us away from the, the key to it all, which is Christ. Uh, Pastor Apple, you want to talk about that a little? Yeah, I mean, later later on, coming up, I mean, the the reformers will will say, you know, that that what's missing from all of this is Christ. Um, that that's what's missing from from everything that that the adversaries are teaching. And and rather than keeping our eyes focused on Him, they would invite us to keep us uh, keep our eyes focused on Moses and the law, as we'll see in a little bit, or here on on our human reason, rather than directing us to Christ. And and that's when, as as they say here at the end of this paragraph, you know that this church order, this peace among people that's intended, that's when it gets abused, is when it becomes something then that we use to justify ourselves, as I think Pastor Wood was saying earlier about, you know, any number of pious practices can become abused when we seek our righteousness in them and, and allow those to, to take our eyes off of Christ, and instead we put our eyes on our own reason and what we think we can do for God. Well, and not only that, but the, uh, the justification based on p- pious actions and then that we put that we put that imposition on other people, mm-hmm. becoming pietists ourselves, is, is even more. I mean, scary, I suppose. <laughs> Define your terms there a little bit. You're using pietists, and, and we know what you're talking about. But just for the sake of our li- listeners, especially, sure. play that out a little more. Sure, pious actions, make a, making the sign of the cross, genuflecting, um, uh, reading or saying let's, the certain prayers. Uh, are all pious and good things when we look at them in the proper context. However, whenever we believe that they justify us or bring our, bring us closer to God, uh, 
then we become pietists and then also handing over to uh, others pietism. And we see that a lot here in the, here in the South uh, of pietism is more of an outward attack than it, or pietists are more of ta- attackers. Uh, they attack your works and justification um, and not not so much their their own because they've got it figured out because right. they accepted Jesus in 1983 or whatever. So, hey, oh no, I accepted Jesus in 1984 when he drowned me in water. See, I was born in 83. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's why I so, that number. <laughs> so, pious, pious, as we're talking about, a, a pious work is good. Pietist, is, is when we say pietist, we're using that negatively. Pietism, we use negatively. But the Pi- word pietism piet- is what the pietist right, does. Right. Yeah. But when we say a pious work, we're, we're that's generally we mean that positively. And, so it's, and it's typically, it's, 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 it's generally receptive, mm-hmm. and not and not uh, and not an action, not not, not a verb for, from ourselves, but it's yeah. usually a, a passive reception uh, of being being pious. You know, re- receiving the Eucharist, receiving the chalice. Um, being baptized, uh, which ties is, in exactly with what their point here is, is right. You know, exactly. how, how am I justified? How am I made in a right relationship with God? Um, is it through my good work, my pious works, right? Mm-hmm. My, my, that would be pietism. If I am made right in any way, shape or form through the, the, the good works that I am doing, that would be pietism, which I would actually call it an idol for us. Oh, yeah. It's easily made into an idol, you know, and I'm looking into myself for that. But the pious works that flow forth from recognizing that Christ is the ultimate good work. He has fulfilled all righteousness for me and and I am saved. I'm brought in a right, right relationship with God through Christ then naturally the good works will follow. And that's certainly where they're going there. Right. Pastor Apple, and, oh, sorry, sorry. Pastor well, the, the important part of this is that your good works that flow from faith do not make you more saved. <laughs> right, right, right. That, yeah. You know, this is, that'll get to the other way of justification. We talk about when you start measuring like, oh yes, of course Jesus saves me, but I know because I do this, 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 and this, right? So it's never, you're, you don't measure your grace through your works at in any step of the way. Excellent point. Yeah. I, th- I think I hear Pastor Apple trying to jump yeah, in. Sorry. There. Well, I was just going to say, you know, I mean, I think the confessions here that actually give us a pretty good idea of the difference between a pious act and a pietistic act with that very last sentence of 167, um, through them, that mm-hmm. is through these, you know, things like the Mass, they seek righteousness, grace, and salvation by the outward act. So so an act is pious, I mean, when when we seek righteousness, grace, and salvation because of faith, right? I mean, I go to the sacrament of the altar because I believe that there Jesus gives me his body and blood to forgive my sins. That's a pious thing to do. A pietistic thing to do would be seeking righteousness, grace, and salvation just because I'm just doing it to, as an outward act. You know, I'm just, just performing the deed, whether or not I believe anything is happening, or I'm seeking grace from Christ, or even worse, I'm seeking grace because of my own act, that's when it becomes pietistic. Um, and I think that last sentence there helps clarify that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's definitely still the tension today. I mean, uh, and, and we should wrestle with these things. You know, what what is drawing me to the sacrament? Is it because there I participate in Christ and his righteousness, which justifies me, and that, that 
just instill such hope and comfort for me? Or am I going there because I need to make sure I check the box that I was in church and received the sacrament today? Uh, and, and then by because I go to church every Sunday, of course I'm saved. Uh, that would that would point to the outward act. But let, let's push on because we, we talked a, a couple times here about what's coming. And so I'm going to read this next section here. Another way of justification is handed down by the scholastic theologians when they teach that we are righteous through a habit infused by God, which is love. They say that abided, aided by this habit, we keep God's law outwardly and inwardly, and that this fulfilling of the law is worthy of grace and of eternal life. This doctrine is plainly the doctrine of the law. For what the law says is true. You shall love the Lord your God, as cited in Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse 5. Also, you shall love your neighbor, Leviticus 19, 18. Love is therefore the fulfilling of the law. So this is laying out the position of their teaching based on law. We talked about reason now based on the law. And uh, uh, Pastor Apple, a uh, couple comments there before we go to break. Yeah, I mean, here there, I, I think I think the, the key here is to see that and what they'll get into again later is that they're they're misusing law and gospel, uh, and the law is good as as we see here at the end of this paragraph. But it's the law, and it's not the gospel, and they're misusing that law by trying to make it um, a saving law, and and that's the ultimate problem here. Absolutely. On that note, we're going to go ahead and go to break. You're listening to Concord Matters. I am Pastor Sean Smith here with Pastor Matt Wood, Pastor Gavin Mize, and Pastor Tim Apple. We'll catch you on the other side of the break. Visitors are flocking to Wittenberg, Germany this year for the 500th anniversary of the Lutheran Reformation. You, too, can follow in Luther's footsteps through a new two-part video called The Luther Mile. Tour the cradle of the Reformation with LCMS President Rev. Dr. Matthew Harrison as he provides facts and anecdotes of historic Reformation sites. Watch The Luther Mile at lutheranreformation.org slash luthermile. You can't know where you're going unless you know where you've been. And it's even more critical when it comes to the history of God's redeeming grace in Christ. That's the conviction of Concordia Historical Institute, the Department of Archives and History of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. For almost 90 years, we've been dedicated to collecting, cataloging, and showcasing the historical touchstones of Christ's grace and mercy in the life of the Lutheran Church. Help us in the fight against historical amnesia by becoming a member of CHI today. Benefits of CHI membership include our quarterly journal, newsletter, and discounts when you use CHI's research and reference services. You also receive the joy of knowing you're doing your part in preserving and proclaiming Lutheran history for generations to come. Moving Lutheran history forward together. Check us out at concordiahistoricalinstitute.org. Concordia Historical Institute Org. Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their mettle against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m. every weekday on Worldwide KFUO. 
If you're among the over 40 million Americans with a tattoo, the sound of a tattoo gun is a familiar one. And among millennials, tattoos with Bible verses and crosses are a popular statement of their Christian identity. But they're not the first. Tattoos have been around for thousands of years. Some scholars think an early Christian sect called Montanists practiced tattooing. These tattoos may have been a sign of initiation into the sect or even given to infants after baptism. They may have tattooed themselves as slaves of God with Revelation 7-3 as their inspiration, putting a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Engage with the Bible in its impact and influence in every sphere. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible, opening this November in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to Concord Matters. I'm Pastor Sean Smith here with Pastor Matt Wood, Pastor Gavin Mize, and Pastor Tim Apple as we continue taking a look at this chief doctrine of our faith, justification. And we've been laying out the the adversaries, our opponents, the the Church of Rome that uh, we are defending our teaching of the Christian faith against. They've they've come back at us uh, after we wrote the Augsburg Confession and they had the confutation and said, no, we still think you're wrong. And we say, no, we're still right. And here's why. And we really lay out a good legal argument of why. And we're, we're laying out their teachings on justification, which is really found in two modes. The first mode is based on reason. And the second mode is based on the law. And we just, right before the break, we're laying out uh, their teaching in paragraph 168 and in article four or five of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, uh, that mode of the teaching of the law, that with the help of the infused love of God, uh, a person is able to obey the law inwardly and outwardly, and that such obedience is worthy of life. And so that's that's what they're teaching in that mode of the law. Pastor Myers, you want to make a comment there? I do. Or I'm having some microphone issues. All right, we're having a little tech. We're we're hearing you, so I don't think the technical difficulties are there quite. Go ahead and make your comment. Or we lost them. <laughs> Pastor Matt would jump well, in and save us there. One of the things that I I think about this paragraph, uh, I like another way of justification is handed down by the scholastic theologians when they teach that we are righteous through a habit infused by God. So here we're, it's like we're getting, it's like we're getting a little closer, right? Oh, you can't, you don't just merit righteousness with your works outright. That's not the way that works. Of course, you need to be infused with something uh, that will, that will help you do the, do the good works properly. So, so in the sense that we're getting closer, it's better. But when you're jumping across the Grand Canyon, <laughs> if you fall short, you're still short. <laughs> right. It doesn't matter how close you get. If you don't get to the other end, you're dead. So uh, that's kind of what's going on here. They're they're getting closer, but it's 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 not enough. Be- and the reason it's not enough here is because they're still pointing you to the law. Jesus came to die for your sins and bring you forgiveness. He didn't come to give you the law. You already ha- we already had the law. We already had it. We didn't need Jesus to come and tell us to love your neighbor. That's in Deuteronomy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so we needed Jesus to come and do something more, something new. 
and give us something more and something new, and that is new hearts and new spirits. This is an excellent point. I mean, you know, what 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 are we defining as justification? And I think you just laid out uh, something pretty well there in saying, you know, did Jesus come so that I can do good works and and think no, no, that's not what Jesus came for. That's not that's not what justification is identified as. What justification is identified as is Christ for sinners, as St. Mm-hmm. Paul lays out to Pastor Timothy. Uh, and so I'll jump to Pastor Timothy Apple. Please jump in there. Well, yeah, and I mean that Jesus is is exactly what is missing from this from this whole paragraph. I mean, like like Pastor Wood was saying, you know, I mean they're getting closer, right? They they talk about something given by God, and they're using. I mean, here at least you have scripture to back these things up. You know, I mean, whereas in the way of reason, it was just kind of whatever you came up with. Here you have scripture. You're you're actually listening to what God has said. Um, you're even focused not just outwardly but also inwardly. Um, but again, all all of this is still missing. Um, as as the two of you have been bringing out, it's all missing Jesus and and what He came to do. Did He come to make us, um, you know? better fulfillers of the law so that we can climb the ladder higher ourselves, or did he come to give us a brand new heart, uh, to make us new creations? Um, and, and they're missing that. They're missing Christ. Absolutely. And that's the next point Melanchthon makes. And so I'm going to pick up reading there at paragraph 169. But it is easy for a Christian to judge about both of these ways of justification, because both exclude Christ. They are therefore to be rejected. I think I'm just going to stop there for a second and we'll, we'll talk about this. I mean, this is to be rejected. Uh, we might also translate this uh, to be condemned. This, this is, this is really bad because ultimately it denies Christ. It excludes Christ. Uh, Pastor Mize, if you can jump in there, I think earlier we found out that uh, perhaps your microphone levels are turned down a bit too much on your end. And so please go ahead and try and jump in there. Yeah, but I believe it's okay. I'm just getting a little weak. Um, this sentence by itself carries a lot of weight. However, uh, it's in the next one we find uh, basically, well, here we read it in, in the former, which teaches us our works are a propitiation for sin. The impiety is manifest. So when we believe that our works are the propitiation between man and God, then that is the, the, the worst of the worst, uh, to be condemned, uh, to, as you said before, uh, let the one who believes that, uh, we, we, that we participate or that we are, prop, or that we propitiate, uh, for our sins as impi- it is simply impiety manifest. Uh, and earlier someone, I couldn't remember which pastor said, um, well, regardless, uh, all sin is idolatry. Uh, all sin is an attempt to dethrone God and place their own uh, uh, self-righteous behinds in, in, on the throne. Uh, and here, this is exactly what Melanchthon is saying. Uh, that, But it is easy for a Christian to judge both, both modes, because both modes exclude Christ. So it's, it's easy... Because you can take, once you take Christ away, it's the great thread that is pulled until you realize that you are naked. 
Yeah, and if you take Christ away, you really have no hope. I mean, th- th- there's a day of judgment that is really coming, and Christ is our only hope on that day. And we can't just pay lip service to, oh, yeah, Christ saved me, and, and then, you know, have teaching that denies that Christ really did save you. I mean, it just unravels everything exactly what you're saying there, Pastor Mize. I'm going to continue on reading here, uh, and, and, and they explain how uh, these exclude Christ. Uh, continue in paragraph 169, in the former, which teaches that our, so that is in, in, the, in the mode of the reason uh, in that former, which teaches that our works are an atoning sacrifice for sin. The impiety is clear. The latter way contains much that is harmful. It does not teach that when we are born again, we make use of Christ. It does not teach that justification is the forgiveness of sins. It does not teach that we attain the forgiveness of sins before we love, but falsely represents that we rouse in ourselves the act of love through which we merit the forgiveness of sins. Nor does it teach that we overcome the terrors of sin and death through faith in Christ. It falsely claims that by their own fulfilling of the law, without Christ as the atoning sacrifice, people come to God. Finally, it claims that this very fulfilling of the law, without Christ as the atoning sacrifice, is righteousness worthy of grace and eternal life. Nevertheless, scarcely a weak and feeble fulfilling of the law happens even in saints." Wow, a lot going in there, and uh, just, you know, as I've been on the show regularly, Peter Slayton that's usually on likes to talk about, you know, this is like a quill drop moment for Melanchthon, you know, just saying, you know, here, here's exactly the problem with your teaching, and uh, and it's just really quite solid. Pastor Apple, you want to jump in there? Yeah, I mean, he spends, he really comes down hard on the, the latter way, the, the way of the law, as, as Pastor Mize was, you know, saying that first way, it's very clear that the the impiety is there. I mean, there's no mention of, of God hardly at all. It's, it's just do what is in you, um, you know, make up your own good works. But he, he spends a long time talking about what's wrong with the latter way, the way of the law. Um, and I think likely because of what, what we were talking about earlier, that, that you know, with the, the way of the law, I mean, you've, you've got those things that are better, and it, it may sound uh, sound better, but, but the the evil is still there, and it, as, as we said earlier, it's to be rejected, it's to be condemned. Um, there is much that is harmful, and he, he goes to great lengths to to list just why it is so harmful of, of the various ways that that this way of justification um, draws us away from Christ as atoning sacrifice, and, and so would, would draw that salvation, that free gift away from us, and that, that is dangerous indeed. Yeah, and I love the image that he uses here, too, of, you know, how we're coming to God. I mean, for me, it draws that image of, you know, if I'm standing before God, what what rights do I have to stand there? Uh, Pastor Wood, talk about that a little. Right, so at the judgment, when Jesus opens the, the books, Revelation says he's going to open the books, and in the books uh, are going to be every deed done. But then later it says, and those whose names are written in the book of life enter. Right, so we come before God, and He's going to judge us on our work. And there's not going to be one. There needs there. There's got to be another book. There's got to be another measure, and that is the measure of Christ proclaiming us right, righteous, and putting our names in the book of life by His forgiveness and His death on the cross. Now, this uh, uh, habitus infuso or the gratia infuso. I don't know if I'm getting my Latin endings right. I'm just throwing those out there to sound <laughs> smart. Um, but the, the, the infused grace says that Jesus came and, and he infuses the grace into you, but that's not forgiveness of sins. That is a, 
uh, an ability to do good works, you're still in the book of works. Christ didn't come to get you out of that book. Or, he, you know, there's no other book. In that teaching. <laughs> in, that, yeah. in that teaching, uh, which is just absolutely depressing. Uh, because the, no matter how good you do, there's always more to be done. Yeah. I, I came not to abolish the law, mm-hmm. but to fulfill it. Right. Yeah. So the, so the book of works, Revelation gives us a clear picture. The book of works is opened and it's read. Mm-hmm. But the last book, the book of life... That's where your name's got to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to mm-hmm. tie in there too. I mean, that's a great tie in, Pastor Mize, uh, you know, not to abolish the law, mm-hmm. but to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. That, that drives us exactly to this other book. Right. Uh, you know, I was also even thinking, you know, and I sometimes hear this in, in some sermons by some Christians uh, today, you know, that on that last day, will the words, the words will be spoken. Well done, good and faithful servant. Who's he talking to there? Because I have to be honest, as I take a look at my life, I'm not sure I could possibly hear those words. Because even in my best works, I find I fo- find, fall woefully short. I try to be a faithful pastor, but inevitably, I fall short. And my people are quick to remind me of it sometimes, too. I try to be a good husband. I fall woefully short. So what hope do I have, can, Pastor Mize? Can I, uh, can I try to answer that with, yep. with two separate parables that I think tie well together? Um if I may, please. Uh, when we hear those words for the first time in Scripture, "Well done, good and faithful servant," it was regarding with what uh, what the servant had done with what God had given him, uh, and so we all would love to hear "Well done, good and faithful servant" said to us and only to us. But here's the thing: the only way that we are good. Uh, and and faithful servants is because Christ was the one who went, who found the treasure, went and bought the entire field with his blood, and planted that treasure us in the ground uh, to to be brought back out uh, when he returns. Uh, so any kind of any kind of well done, good and faithful servant. That is applied to us. It is applied to us because Christ, who is the good servant, has value in us based on what he has done for us on the cross. It's completely passive. Why does Christ call us? Well, what what we can exegetically get out of that, that he would buy the entire field, plant the treasure, that it may be, may be safe for his return. Uh, we are called good and faithful based on taking up Christ's cross and following him. Uh, we are, you know, he is uh, King Wenceslaus, and we are the guy with, with the message trailing behind him. Uh, in, in his footsteps are we trotting. So I think we can find ourselves w- well and faithfully and rightly called good and faithful servants uh, because of what Christ has done for us, through us, to us. And we should probably give a lot of credit to the Holy Spirit as well. Yeah, well said. And I love that. I mean, ultimately, when we use that, uh, that word, the treasure buried in the field, I mean, it calls to mind for me 
death. And yeah. it is through the real death in my baptism that I die in Christ. And, and then we hear obviously the words of our, of our, uh, father spoken there to Christ himself. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And, and it is only through Christ, uh, that we hear those words spoken e- excellently said there, uh, pastor Apple comment there. Yeah, well, you brought up baptism, and that's exactly what I was thinking of, too, as Pastor Mize was speaking. Was I mean, because in it is in baptism, then, that whatever has happened to Christ and whatever is said to Christ has also happened to me and is also said to me. In baptism, I died with Christ, and in baptism, I was buried with Christ, and in baptism, I've been raised with Christ. And so because he has been the good and faithful servant because I am in him, in baptism, then those words get spoken to me, as, as you mentioned, at, at Christ's own baptism. Um, he is declared the beloved Son of God, and, and because he is the Son of God, by nature, I am now adopted as a Son of God. Um, and, and what a wonderful gift that is, and, and that's exactly what's missing from the adversary's teaching concerning justification. Um, because in the adversary's teaching, I can earn that spot as, as God's son, as if I could somehow do that. And it, all of this is, all of this wonderful thing, um, this gospel that we're talking about, is, is missing sorely uh, from, from what the adversaries teach concerning the law. And it's, it's just, it's heartbreaking um, when you think about it, that, that they would try to find these things in themselves rather than, than finding them in Christ where they are to be found abundantly. And, and the, the summum bonum, I think, can be b- between servant and following the servant of servants is when the disciples ask Jesus how we should pray. And then the first two words broke the Jewish world in half because never would that have been uttered, our Father. Uh, Christ often has said, my Father who is in heaven. But now, he gives us a new way to pray based on what would be done. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Stop there. Go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He, He asked for the very same thing. Where the cup of blessing would be passed from him, it was not but poured on him. He uh, went into the grave, came out of the grave, and all of that can be marked in our baptismal life. Every single part of it that we too, as Luther says in his small catechism, come to uh, God the Father as his dear dear children. Yeah, and and I love the beautiful connection there too with how we're taught on to pray that Lord's prayer in the small catechism, just to use the, the, I will be done, but really many of the petitions use this, this same kind of back and forth, you know, your will's going to be done anyway. This is a Sean Smith paraphrase version of the catechism. Your will's <laughs> going to be done anyway, but we're praying that it would be done among us also. And, uh, ultimately his will has been done in Christ on the cross and, and, and perfectly in Christ and his life of righteousness. And so we're praying that as we are baptized into Christ, as we make our life in Christ, who is our life, that ultimately all of this flows forth from Christ. That's the very center of scripture, especially St. Paul speaks this way all over the time. And to teach otherwise really makes Christ in vain, which is where I want to pick up there. Paragraph 170, they talk about how this, this makes Christ in vain. Uh, they write, truly, if anyone will think about it, 
he will most easily understand that the gospel has not been given in vain to the world and that Christ has not been promised and set forth, has not been born, has not suffered, has not risen again in vain. He will most easily understand that we are justified not by reason or by the law. Therefore, in regard to justification, we are compelled to disagree with the adversaries. For the gospel shows another way. The gospel compels us to make use of Christ in justification. The gospel teaches that through Christ we have access to God through faith. It teaches that we ought to set him as mediator and atoning sacrifice against God's anger. The gospel teaches that through faith in Christ the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation are received, and the terrors of sin and death are overcome. Ah, I just love reading this stuff over and over again. And we're back where we started. Yeah. There goes the uncertainty. Right? Because we have Christ and his death and his resurrection. They're not just in the past. They're here for us now. Uh, uh, his work, uh, his ministry, uh, his continued uh, intercession by the power of his ascension into heaven. He's still performing these things for us, uh, continuing to work on our behalf, interceding for us. And that brings confidence. There's no uncertainty there because... Christ is the one doing the work. Christ is the one doing the measuring. Christ is the one doing the reckoning. Amen. (laughs) Pastor Apple. Yeah, I mean, and like he said, and and God God means that too. These things weren't in vain. Uh, It's it's not like God sent Jesus, you know, for no reason. And it's Mm -hmm. not like God um, sends Jesus now and and preaches the good news to us now for nothing. He means these things. Um, he, He wants to give us Christ and give us this salvation freely, apart from our works. These things weren't in vain. Um, and, and that is the certainty that, that we have that clears those terrors of conscience away that simply can't be found um, in the way of reason or in the way of law. Yeah. And as you were saying that there too, it even draws to mind, you know, it kind of makes this teaching not only in vain, but it kind of makes Jesus and his, his birth, life, death, all of this sound as an afterthought or as one of the other regular guests on here, Pastor Peter Hill loves to say, it makes Christ sound like he's plan B. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, really, uh, it was up to us to, to live and do the good works in the garden and we failed. And so plan B had to come in in Christ. I mean, that's what this teaching leads to, but that's never the plan. And if Christ is plan B, then we're on plan H. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because I still sin. I'm still a sinner. And uh, yeah. Absolutely. Pastor Mize. Well, particularly, I noticed this part. We were talking about having the assurance. Um, you know, scripture never promises us that we'll be happy. Uh, it promises us, in fact, quite the opposite. Uh, but it does also promise us peace. And that's better than happiness. Uh, and in particular, this point right here that I just lost, if you <laughs> asked, <laughs> uh, where the heart is, oh yeah, here it is. Uh, faith is counted as, as righteousness before God. And when in this manner, the heart is cheered and quickened by faith. It receives the Holy Ghost who renews us so that we are able to observe the law, so that we are able to love God and the Word of God and to be submissive to God in uh, afflictions, so that we are able to be chaste, love our neighbor, etc. And I see this very much as what 
the whole house of Israel did after the dry bones were rehydrated and sinew grew and there they all were kind of standing around going, what happened? Um, I can't help but think that their hearts were quickened uh, by the word of God and made cheerful and uh, that we should should be like that. We should we should completely <laughs> come to the realization that we uh, uh, we were dry bones. Uh, and now have heard the word of the Lord, and it quickens our hearts and uh, makes us a part of the of the creed, uh, the quick and the dead. Um, and it, in that, I find my joy, both in my job and calling, uh, but also in my marriage and in my vocation as father. Because to remove Christ from any of those things is to lose all of those things. I mean, it, it just really has such peace for us. It, it, it not only should cause, it, it really does cause our hearts to be at peace. It does quicken the heart. I, I, I can't just begin to, in my own life and in my professional life as a pastor, as I deliver the word of God to, to people in the midst of struggles and the failings of the flesh and the brokenness of the world, um, how hearts are just so quickened that you, you just see the peace overcome you when that word of God, that promise of God, here is Christ for you, that really just does bring comfort. And I want to read just a little bit more here. Paul also says that righteousness is not of the law, but of promise. The Father has promised that he wants to forgive, that for Christ's sake he wants to be reconciled. This promise, however, is received through faith alone. A great Reformation uh, call there, as Paul testifies in Romans 4.13. This faith alone receives the forgiveness of sins, justifies, and regenerates. Then love and other good fruit follow. I mean, this is really the whole heart of the Reformation as we're celebrating it still 500 years later. Uh, Pastor Wood, go ahead and make a comment there about this this great call of the Reformation still active and living today. Right. I mean, it's it's been what we've been saying. Faith alone, grace alone. Uh, it's all about the forgiveness and the confidence uh, that we have uh, in, in the love of Christ. And these fruits which follow... Lutherans are not against fruits. In fact, we will say that good works are necessary. You must do them. Just don't take any confidence in them. Right? Yeah. Don't measure your, your worth through your ability to do them because your worth and your confidence are all in Christ and what he has done. Well said. Pastor Apple, uh, any parting thoughts for you? Yeah, I mean, I just think it, you see here at the end with this, the faith alone, and then this again mentioning the conscience being cheered. That that it's not just it's not about being right for for Melanchthon and the other reformers. It's it's about this cheering of the conscience, this certainty that we have in Christ. And and when the adversaries attempt to take that away, then then we are compelled to respond not not because we want to be right, but because we want. Uh, conscience is to be cheered and comforted, and that only comes uh, through this justification that we have uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. Very well said. The confidence we have is Christ. That is our confession. That was our confession years ago at the Reformation as we wrote the Augsburg Confession. It's apology. It remains our confession today because ultimately on that last day, our hope is alone in Christ. I am Pastor Sean Smith, and I am joined today by Pastor Matt Wood, Pastor Gavin Mize, Pastor Tim Apple. Thanks for stopping by and growing deeper in the knowledge of your Christian confession, and keep confessing church. <laughs>